Good morning. This morning we will be reading from Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 through 21. And uh, on the Bibles that are in your seat, that's page 532. Will you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have only five loaves. Here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. You may be seated. All right, we are in, as <clears throat> Owen just read, we're in Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to jump right in there. Um, so, let's pray today. Lord, thank you for, thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, as we come to it, that you reveal yourself to us in just amazing ways multiple, multiple ways. And so we pray, Lord, that as you reveal yourself today to us as just unbelievably compassionate, that we would see that and that would translate into our lives, that we would see how your compassion um, is applicable to our everyday experience and right now. I pray for myself, God, I pray that you would help me um, speak courageously and Lord, that I would also um, all the things that you need for me to say, that I would say those. And Lord, the things that I might have here in my notes that you don't want me to, Lord, I would pass through those and, and just keep going. And that you, you would be most um, lifted high this morning and that you would be most glorified, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to you all who are mothers. You're welcome. You're welcome. And so, as you know, since it's Mother's Day, I feel prompted to make sure I write a Mother's Day sermon. So I want you to hear and see the connection of Mother's Day. Um, it's not necessarily a, a huge one, but there is one here. Here it is. You ready? Um, Jesus is going to feed people and you have to feed people a lot. There it is. That's all there is. That's all I have to do with Mother's Day. So um, I just want to make sure to let you know I was thinking about you as I went to the next set of verses in Matthew and wrote this sermon. I was thinking about you, that you have to feed people, and Jesus is going to do that as well. So we're here in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. And what's going on, as we kind of talked about last, last time, uh, this section is called Identity Revealed. And so Jesus is revealing his identity over the next couple of chapters to these people. And so um, as we're seeing it, um, this, in this particular set of verses today, in verses four, 13 through 21, the, he's revealing himself as compassionate. He's revealing himself as a compassionate healer and a compassionate supplier. And what we mean by supplier is supplier as in meeting people's needs. And so um, that's the way he's revealing himself. And throughout this entire section of 14 and 15 and half of 16, it's all kind of pushing us forward, getting to its, its most biggest pinnacle, if you will, which is Matthew 16, 16, where, where Peter looks at him and says, you're the Messiah. And so what... What Matthew's wanting us to see is over this next couple of chapters that what he's wanting all of us to see is that Jesus is the Messiah and he's revealing himself slowly in different ways. And so today it's going to be as the compassionate healer. And so um, we're, we have a, a I have at least a pretty big task in front of me because here's the deal. Um, this is the story of Jesus feeding 5000 people, right? Almost every single one of you, if you've, even if you haven't spent any time in church, has heard the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. And so I'm praying that even though this is a very familiar text for all of us, that we would all say, Holy Spirit, there's things that you can teach me. Would you pray with me even now? Like, Lord, 
teach me through this because there's things that I've, I've heard the story a thousand times. But I think that if the Holy Spirit would be kind, that he would show us some things that maybe we've never seen before. Maybe we've never thought of before and that we would see those things as precious. Remember, um, the big picture here is that it's trying to highlight for us the compassionate nature of Jesus, specifically that he is the healer and supplier for every single one of us. Um, this book, or I'm not this book, this particular story is actually the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. So all four Gospel writers thought that this is a very, very important thing that everybody should hear. Um, and in the book of John, right after, <coughs> right after he, John writes this particular part, he goes into uh, where Jesus calls himself the bread of life and even starts referencing the manna that came down, referencing Moses. And so John, as he's writing this particular, um, this particular story, what he's wanting the reader to see in the book of John is that Jesus is the truer and greater Moses and who feeds his people with spiritual food that gives them eternal life. That's what John's trying to highlight. John is different than the other three gospel writers because he writes in a much more theological nature than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, which just means synoptic, same eye. And those three gospels, those three particular books are very similar. If you read them, the stories flow in the same fashion. But John just kind of sticks out there as, as different than the rest. And um, he is writing very theological. And he's wanting them to see that, that Jesus is the truer and greater Moses. But we're here in Matthew, so we're going to concentrate on Matthew. Just That was all for free. So here we are at Matthew. Um, and this is what's going on for us here. Remember, as they write uh, these particular books, what they're trying to do is remember... They want you to remember what you just read and how it's going to connect to the next thing and how it's going to connect. These, these gospel writers uh, are very particular about the way they lay out their book. They wrote these books 30 years after the, the, the thing happened. It's not like they just remembered this. Oh, I've got to jot this down in my journal for the, for the day. This is what Jesus did. This is about 30 years after Jesus had died and resurrected. And they remember the things. And as they wrote, they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Matthew is very intentional about writing to the J people who are Jewish. So he's putting together his book and the sequence of stories and the way that he wants to most um, effectively minister those who are Jewish so that when they read this particular book, he's referencing Old Testament scriptures so that they'll see this man, Jesus, was the Messiah. And that's what he's doing here. And for in Matthew 14, Matthew is contrasting the previous set of verses, which is where Herod throws his big lewd uh, party. And as we're going to this next place, and I just want to let you even see the two contrasting feasts that's happening here in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, verses 13 through 14. I don't have time to go over last week's sermon, but um, you can understand it pretty, pretty easily. The first feast is Herod. The egomaniac, he's a ruler and he's having a big feast in his palace, in his palace. There's immorality, there's lewdness, there's drunkenness, and it ends with an illegal homicide. On the other hand, Jesus, contrasting from Herod, is also a king, but he is going to have his, his, his feast, the second feast. He's a gentle, compassionate preacher out in the desert with his people or out in the desolate land with his people. It's going to begin with healings for the sick, and it's going to end with a huge meal that he provides um, as, as, with a miracle, which in some ways is going to also anticipate for us the heavenly marriage supper that all believers will have one day with him as spoken of in, in the book of Revelation. So we can see even the two contrasts of these two feasts where the first king is obviously not right and the second king is, is amazing because he's Christ. So that's where Matthew is kind of laying it out for us here. And as we're going into um, this particular set of verses today, the title of the, today's sermon is 5,001 Reasons why that Jesus is compassionate. We're going to get to the end, to the one in just a second. But what I want us to see today is, in this particular set of verses, five highlights of Jesus's compassion. There's five particular things that you're going to see in this set of verses that just highlight for us this unbelievable nature of compassion that Jesus has. And I'm hoping that it's a blessing for you. Um, look at verse 13 for me, and we'll see this first here <clears throat> as we get into the text. It says, Now when Jesus heard this... now." The this is more than likely from verse 1 and 2, where Herod hears that uh, 
Jesus is doing many great works and he thinks, this guy, Jesus, this is John the Baptist reincarnate and he's ready to come get me. Because remember from verse 3 to verse 12 is that lost flashback for us where it just tells us the old story of John the Baptist. So when you see in 12 and his disciples, the disciples of John came and took the body of John the Baptist and buried it and they went and told Jesus. More than likely what they're telling Jesus is that we just buried John the Baptist, just to let you know. Then remember up in verse 3, Jesus had heard that Herod thinks that he's John the Baptist and that he's been raised from the dead and he's working the miraculous powers and so when jesus hears that herod is out to get him he's like it's time to withdraw time to get out of here it's not my time yet and so we see here in verse 13 when jesus heard this that crazy herod was was thinking he was john the baptist he withdrew from there in a boat he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself so here's what's going on you can kind of picture a lake right here in front of me and jesus is on this side the shortest distance is just to get in a boat and go straight across which is what he does but there's people here that here and see he's getting in the boat he's going across they knew the layout of the land and so what they do is they run around the lake all the way to the other side and so when the boat's coming ashore there they are they're just kind of waiting on him and so we see what jesus's desire jesus's intention in getting that boat and going across it says when he heard this he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself so he's wanting to go off and have some time by himself but watch this but when the crowds heard it They followed him on foot from the other towns. They run all the way around to the other side. We're going to see that they're actually waiting for him on the other side. But before we get into that, let's let's, let's kind of consider one particular thing about this particular crowd. They run all the way around a lake on foot as fast as they can to get to the other side because they know Jesus is going there. That is amazing eagerness to hear the word of God. As a matter of fact, it's not just an amazing eagerness to hear the word of God. There's a desperation down deep in their souls. They want so badly to be with Christ and to hear from him and be fed spiritually by him that they're going to actually forsake a meal. They're going to forsake their meal, forsake dinner and go out there just to hear him. Now, forsaking dinner was a big thing there. It wasn't like they can just hit the Hebrew hut on the way home after Jesus talks. Let's just go to Waffle House and grab some, you know, some scattered smother and cover on the way home. That's not the case. There's not like restaurants everywhere. This is they're they're forsaking a meal and they're thinking, I don't want to eat. I want to be around Christ so bad. I'm so eager to hear the word of God. I'm going to run all the way around here. And if I don't eat today, I don't eat today. We're not going to stop at a restaurant on the way home. That's how eager they are to hear the word of God. And I think For us, as we're going through this, I would love to see um, more and more Christians, not just in our church, but all over, to not have a growing indifference to the Word of God, but instead just a deep eagerness to have the Word of God. Wouldn't it be amazing if we see this, that there's just a desperation in our souls that we need Christ's words for life. We need Christ's words for life. That's what's going on here with these particular people. And so when Jesus, verse 14, this is this is Jesus wants to get away. He wants to kind of withdraw. He pulls ashore. He's thinking, you know, oh, it's time to relax. You know, it's time. Notice what happens. It says in verse 14, when he went ashore, there it is. There they are. He saw a great crowd. He saw a great crowd. There was very little rest time for Christ, though he did get some because he's Jesus. There was very little rest time. Now, if this was me and perhaps you, but if this is me and it's time for me to have some rest and all of a sudden I get across and I'm, I'm finally going to get to have it. And there they all are. I would just be like, oh, come on. In my mind, I had built up this anticipation of finally getting to have some rest. And there they are waiting. There's no rest here again. But notice what Jesus's posture. Notice what Jesus's um, reaction is to their to these people here. Look at this. When he went ashore, he saw and this saw. Um, is saying he saw them and when he saw them, it created a deep burden in them. He has a deep burden. We see that as we keep going. It says he saw a great crowd and look at this. And he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. So first thing I want you to see that's going to highlight for us this amazing compassion of Jesus is this. As soon as he sees them, he doesn't like say, oh, you're just waiting for me on the other side. He immediately has flowing out of him compassion for them. He knew, I mean, he had to know they ran all the way around the lake for him. And he doesn't say, why'd you run around the lake? What the world? Give me some, give me some peace here. He immediately has this growing, 
growing, growing love for them where he explodes in compassion for them. So first thing I want you to see, and this is how it's going to relate to you, is this. Jesus is the compassionate healer that does not grow tired of you or your problems. He does not grow weary of these people who are approaching him. He doesn't say, oh, the first thing he sees is, he sees them and he just has this same compassion and growing desire. And some of you need to hear that today. Jesus is not like us, where we have a, we have a threshold. We have a ceiling of like people time where eventually I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep. And then I hit that ceiling. I'm like, all right, I got a big do not disturb sign on my forehead. I'm done with people for a little while. Jesus does not have that. There is no case where you're going to keep coming to Christ, keep coming to Christ. And he's eventually going to say, all right, that's enough. Some of you need to know. That he will never grow weary of you coming to him. You can continually keep bringing your problems. Keep bringing your problems. Keep bringing your problems. And the compassionate nature of Jesus, he's saying, come on. Keep coming. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. His care is not a undefined, sealing kind of care that we have. His love is so extensive so pervasive that he never grows weary of you of your problems to keep coming. He's saying to you right now, some of you need to hear this. Keep coming with your with you. I'm never going to grow tired of you and I'm never going to grow tired of your problems. Your personality is not something that bothers me. I love you deeply. I want you to keep coming. Keep coming. This is the compassionate nature of Jesus. When he saw this great crowd, he says, come on. Keep coming. So here's the first thing. He, he does not grow tired of you of your problems. First Peter 5, 7. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, I want to prove that to you, if you will, by showing you this word compassion. When he says in verse 14, Matthew writes, he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. This Greek word compassion Sympathia is where we get our word sympathetic. Where we have our, it's, it's, but sympathetic, we say he's sympathetic for him. That's, that's okay. But this is what the, the, the depth of this word compassion, sympathia means. This is a very deep word. It means this. The meaning of it is his whole being was stirred to its lowest depths for these people. It went all the way down deep for them when he saw them. And this burden just exploded out of them. This deep care and love, and, and, and love for them just came out. And he had to minister to them. That's the kind of Christ that is saying to you today. Come. And keep coming. And I'm never going to grow weary of your coming. You can keep on coming. Keep on praying. Keep on laying all of your anxieties on me. That's what Christ is trying to tell you. Spurgeon talking about this particular um, part of Christ. He says this. They came unasked, the people. They came unasked and uninvited, uninvited. Yet he received them tenderly. He received them tenderly. He blessed them graciously and at length fed them bountifully. This is the case when you come to Christ of the way he deals with you. This never, ever different. He always deals with you tenderly because he cares for you more than you could ever imagine. When Jesus cares for you, it's not like your spouse or your child that will eventually give out because we're human. But in his humanity, he's also God. And he's saying, always come, always continually come to me. So he is the compassionate healer that never grows tired of you or your problems. Now, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. So first we see that he has compassion. Now, we, I just kind of stop there. And some of you can kind of can say, OK, that's me, too. I see people's problems and almost all the time I'm going to have compassion for them. But Jesus doesn't just have this growing compassion for them and say, ah, I feel for you. Good luck with that. That's not Christ. I want you to see here that whenever that happened, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them, but he also, look at that, and he healed their sick. He healed their sick. The second thing I want you to see is not only does Jesus say, keep coming, keep coming, you, but there's also something else. Jesus can do something about that. When his compassion grows, he can do something about it. The second thing is Jesus is the compassionate healers that compassionate healer that can heal you. He can heal you. Christ has provided for us spiritual healing on the cross. He absolutely 
can heal you spiritually. If you recognize that you're a sinner and that you need forgiveness, he is the only one that can heal you. He healed the sick there. He had compassion on them. He didn't just stop at his compassion, but he did something for him. His compassion led to action. It wasn't just a temporary, disturbed spirit mm, and then kind of doing nothing. It led to action. And so I think the direct application for us is when we feel a deep compassion in our souls and in our hearts for people, does it just terminate or does it just end there? Or do we find ourselves being Christ-like and saying, this is going to this is going to manifest itself in me actually doing something as well. This is Christ like. So the second thing that I want you to see is that Jesus is the compassionate healer that can heal you, can heal you. And this is what it says in 15. I love this. And it says, now, when it was evening, Matthew is, is going to great pains to make sure we understand the day was over. OK, it was evening. The disciples came to him and said, this is a desert place and the day is over. The day is over. But we're going to see that they are absolutely mistaken. The disciples think that it's over. Jesus, on the other hand, is just getting started. You may think in your life that you're at the twilight of your life. It, the day is over in your life. I'm too old to do anything. I think this is a perfect thing for us to see that we're never too old. As long as you are drawing in breath in your lungs... It, you are not done and Jesus is not done with you. This day was not over at all. As a matter of fact, it was just getting started. Don't ever discount the amazing work that Jesus can do, can do in your life just because you think your day is over. Your day is never over unless you stop breathing. The moment you stop breathing, you can say it's over, but you won't because you're dead. So that's what we need to realize from this is that there is no certain age where we can get to a place and say, you know what, I'm done. I'm just going to kind of take the rest of my life off. I'm in the twilight of life. The evening has come. The day is over. Jesus is done with me. That's never the case. Jesus was just getting started in this particular day. And so the disciples, on the other hand, they came to the D Jesus. Remember, they think they think it's over. Everything's done. No more miracles today. Let's just go ahead and call it a day. Set up the tents, the sleeping bags, whatever they want to say. This is a desolate place and the day is over. And then they come and they say, send the crowds away. Send the crowds away. Now, 21, verse 21, fast forward, we see that it says about 5,000 men. Now, this is particular. It's not just using the word um, for, for mankind. It's not anthropos, mankind. This is particularly talking about men as in men. And so we have a count of 5,000 men, which means we probably have, I know you've heard this before, we have a count of 5,000 women as well, and the typical family, two and a half, probably more than that then. Um, there's about 12 and a half, 15. 15,000 people there. There's a lot of people there. I mean, a lot. And so it's starting the days getting over and the disciples are seeing 15,000 people there. And then Matthew's already told us twice in 13 and in 15 that they're in a desolate place. I mean, this is desolate. This is desolate, desolate. There's nothing around here. Desolate doesn't mean no vegetation. We're going to see later on where Jesus tells them to sit down. They sit down in grass. So you know, there's there's grass there. But what he's trying to say over and over by saying it's desolate place is that there is not a bounty and of readily available food here. And the disciples are seeming to be compassionate for the people. There's 15 grand people here <laughs> and we don't have any food and there's no readily available food here. So the, the most compassionate thing we can do is tell them before the sun goes down, they're all hungry. They all skip dinner. We need to tell Jesus to send them out like we got to get them out of here so they can go eat. So on the surface. There's no question. This is, a, I think, a compassionate thing of the disciples to do. It says that they come and they come to Jesus and they say, send the crowds away. We don't get mad at them for saying, send them away. We're not going to take care of them. They're actually, I think, being compassionate. Send the crowds away to go to the villages, buy food for themselves, buy food for themselves. So um, Jesus is going to have a different plan. And so let's just kind of, again, the disciples are that perfect example for us, as I was talking about before, where... Jesus has compassion, but he does something. The disciples have compassion and they say, now go figure it out. And I think that all of us need to look at that and say, our, our compassion doesn't just need to be see a need and tell them to go get some help. Our compassion needs to be see a need and do something to meet it. Do something to meet it. We want to be a Christian that doesn't send people away, send the crowds away and say, all right, figure things out. But instead, like Christ, we want to actually do something. 
So Jesus is the compassionate healer that can heal you. Now, we've moved away from the healings. That's the kind of that first section. And we're going to go into the feeding now. We've, we've gone from Jesus being the compassionate healer and revealing himself as the compassionate healer now to the compassionate supplier. And that's the kind of the second half of what we're going to be looking at. Jesus is going to reveal himself still as compassionate, but now as a supplier. And this is, it picks up for us there in verse 16. It says, but Jesus said to them, now notice the disciples are compassionate, all right? We got a problem. There's 15,000 people here. There, we have no food whatsoever. We got to go tell Jesus. Let's send them out. And so he, they go up to him. <laughs> they, I don't think that they're at all expecting this answer. I mean, that's not really very insightful, but I don't think they're, they're at all. Jesus looks at them, but Jesus said, they don't need to go away. At first, really? 15,000 people are just going to camp out here? Um, and then he says this, they don't need to go away to get something to eat. You give them something to eat. They don't need to go away. Keep them here. Keep them here. Now, let's just get a picture here of what's really going on. Let's get a a clear picture. There are scores of people here. 15,000 people. 15,000 people here. And they're famished. I mean, just hungry, hungry souls. They have forsaken lunch. Maybe even, maybe lunch, but definitely dinner. They're hungry. They're literally... Hungry for food and they're spiritually hungry for Jesus. We can see that they have a deep zeal, a deep desire because they ran around the town just to come hear more word of God from Jesus. And that's what had brought them out there. And Jesus is telling them they don't need to go away. As a matter of fact, he looks at him and he says, you give him something. This you is like a double you, you. You give them something to eat. So we can hear that. I got an idea, Jesus. We got to let them go, you know, because they got to eat. And Jesus looks at them and says, you, I want you to give them something to eat. You can just imagine the disciples looking at around and saying, um, how are we going to do that? I don't understand how that's going to happen. And so we can, I think, I think they're freaking out. So one question I think that we can ask ourselves is this. After Jesus gives them the double you um, and says, you, you do it. Um, Jesus sees this need that's going on. They say, we need to, there's all these people that are hungry. We want them to get something to eat. Let's send them off. And Jesus sees that need and says, no, no, I want you to do it. So here's the third compassionate uh, nature of, of Jesus. The third highlight that I want you to see is that Jesus is the compassionate supplier that sees your needs. Jesus in this moment, the, the disciples run up and they're like, there's a problem, Jesus. They're all hungry. Uh, this didn't take Jesus by surprise. He, he clearly saw the need and had a plan. That's why he, tell, they didn't, he didn't say, oh, you're right, it's evening. What are we going to do? He looks at them and he tells them, you, you're gonna feed, I want you to feed them. So this need didn't come to a surprise as Jesus. He absolutely saw this need there and he had a plan to do it. So you need to hear this. In your life as you're going through, you know, 70 years or whatever it is in your in your in your deeps depths of problems whenever things are happening you need to know that Jesus sees that need there's not a need going on in your life whether it's small or great that takes Jesus by surprise he is always 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 aware of your need now that doesn't negate number one where you need to keep coming and you need to keep saying here's my need christ i want to throw my anxieties on you 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 should keep doing that but you should know that jesus sees your needs he's not unaware of them at all and since he's compassionate he is absolutely feeling in that moment with you just like lazarus where he stops and he cries with mary and martha for lazarus death this is god his His death didn't take him by surprise. But this is highlighting for us the compassionate nature of Jesus. He sees your needs. Now, he looks at the disciples and he tells them, you give them something to eat. Now, the question I want to stop and and ask is this. Why would Jesus ask or basically tell, more tell, the disciples, I want you to give them something to eat? Why would he do that? Why would he give them a task that he absolutely knows they can't do? Matthew's painstakingly let us know that they're in a desolate place. We know that there are tons and tons of people there and there's no food. Why would he give them this impossible task? Here's kind of the impossible uh, miracle. Let's just kind of understand the impossible miracle. Number one, as I've said, um, this is a, a, a huge, vast need that needs to be met. They're in a desolate place. There is no readily available food. There's not, like I said, 
you know, the Hebrew hut that everybody can ju- jump over there and grab tons and tons of food. We also know if we flip over to John chapter six, that one of the disciples says in order to feed all these people, it would take 20, no, not 20, 200 days wages, 200 days wages. Basically, take your salary, figure it out what that would be in eight months. And the disciple says in order to feed 15,000 people, it's going to take Basically, eight months of salary to do that. That's a lot of money. I don't know what it is. I tried to figure it out. Like if we put it at two bucks, two bucks a head. I think it was two bucks a head times 15,000 people. 30,000 bucks. 30,000 bucks. It's going to take $30,000 to feed all these people. Now, maybe you're overrunning with 30,000 bucks, but most of these people weren't. And so that's kind of the second vast nature of this. We're in a desolate place. It's going to be very, very costly. And this is what Jesus is asking them to do. Why would he ask them to do something that he knows, he knows they can't do? The next thing is, is that, he, that we know that after that, barley loaves are found. And so apparently barley loaves are poor quality. And so this is a huge miracle, even in that uh, respect. And lastly, as we've said, Matthew's told us that it's evening and the day is now over. It's in the last hour or the perfect hour, I think. But this is kind of the, uh, again, the amazing part of this miracle is that there doesn't even seem to be any time. There's no food around, there's no money around, and there's not really even any time around. How in the world are they going to do that? Why does Jesus look at them and ask them or tell them to do something he knows they can't do? Because I think John 15 5 tells us he wants them to understand again, understand again, apart from me, you can do nothing. He tells them, I want you to do this. Now, Jesus knows how it's going to go down. He knows how it's going to work, but he still gives them the task. He could have just said, I got it taken care of. I'm going to do a miracle. It's all going to be it's all going to be good. But he doesn't do that. He wants those 12 disciples that are intimately involved with him as they're going to do life with him to continually be reminded. I can't do anything without Jesus. All of us need to remember that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. James Boyce, who's guilty of this? This is James Boyce talking about this. We tend to think that we can at least do something. And then at worst, all we need really is for Jesus to come and give us some specialized help. So, you know, we're going to do this little part and then we're going to hire out Jesus, special Jesus. He's going to come take care of that last part. No one knows how to do plumbing. So I can do a little bit, but Jesus will do the plumbing for me or whatever. You know, it's kind of like I can do a little bit. But I still need Jesus to kind of finish off that last thing. I'm going to hire him out. And what Luther says, Luther says this, our nothing is really nothing, not a little something. You can do, I can do nothing apart from Jesus. And that's what he's wanting the disciples to learn. He's wanting the disciples to know that they can do nothing. Now, it's important to remember as we're going on, as we're going on the rest of this, that in order to make this even more glorious, we have to understand that apart from him, we can do nothing. Now, verse 17 tells us that um, they came to him and they said, we have only five loaves here and two fish. We have only five loaves and two fish. So where in the world did they get this? You know, they said, we don't have anything. Jesus says you need to do something. And they're like, all of a sudden, in verse 17, we've got five loaves and two fish. Well, if you know the story, because I'm sure you do. John is the only one that lets us know. In John chapter 6, verse 9, we know that there's a little boy that has five loaves and two fish. And Andrew goes over and basically just yanks it out of his hand and kind of throws him down on the ground and brings it back to Jesus. And says, I got something. That's not at all what happened. But he's not a bully and rips it off. But he, he, he brings it back. Now, I just want to take one little side note and, and remember that this is really important. Um, this is a side note, of I think, of great importance. In all children's books, whenever you read this story, the little boy's the hero. And then the moral of the story is, be the kind of little good boy that wants to share his lunch. Be a sharer. The boy's not the hero of this story at all. As a matter of fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke go out of their way to make sure that the boy's not the hero because they don't even put him in the story. So when we read in John that the little boy gives his lunch, he's not the hero. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the big idea is Jesus is the hero. Big deal, he shared a lunch. Jesus took it and fed 5,000, 15,000 people. That's a much bigger deal. All right, so don't moralize stories of narrative in the New Testament and say, oh, so the, the hero is the little boy. No, he's not. Everybody, nobody's concerned about him. Andrew ripped it out of his hands anyway. Like, he's not even supposed to be a, po- a part of it. The hero is Jesus. Even more so, we want to remember um, that because he does this amazing miracle and that Matthew, Mark, and Luke leave the little boy out of the story, that helps us see that the hero of every story as we read is always Jesus. Sure, you should share things, okay? Share. 
But don't make the boy the hero and steal the glory from Jesus. Jesus is the hero of this. That's just back to, uh, to the story. Just wanted to throw that out there because that drives me crazy. Um, so here we have uh, five loaves. And when we think loaves, don't think these huge like French bread roll, like these huge loaves. This was a, a meal for a little boy. So it's two little stank hard fish and five little tiny pita bread rolls. I mean, it's just that's all they had. That's all they had. So the disciples, I can just imagine the disciples. We got this. Jesus. I don't know if they're really excited. Look what we got. If they're like, that's all we got. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder, but it doesn't matter if I, what the real answer is. We don't know if they're ashamed of themselves or really excited for what they brought. But they bring this. Um, <clears throat> but the point that I think we need to kind of think about is this. John tells us that this was a little lad. This was the lunch for a little lad. All that could feed 15,000 people was a little lunch for a little lad. So to make Jesus the hero and not the little boy, um, I think that the way that we can think about it is this. There was just a tiny bit of things that were brought. And it was used in a huge way. You may feel like your gifting is completely insignificant. You may feel like what you have is nothing. You may feel like the difference you can make is minuscule, zero. But notice this, when it gets in the hands of the right person, what you can do is amazing. What Jesus will do through you, just to be more theologically correct. It's, um, it's the way that Jesus works. You come saying, I've got nothing. That's right. You don't have anything. So I'm going to take the tiny little bit that you have. I'm going to bless it. And I'm going to amaze you at the work that I can do. This is how the nature of Jesus. works. Don't ever think that your little tiny little bit is insignificant or can't be used. No matter how non-gifted you think you are. You will be amazed if you come with the same posture and say, I don't have anything, but this is all I have, Lord. I want you to use it. They were, um, this is the way the mature in Christ think. The mature in Christ realize that as we go on and go on, I'm maybe wrongly or rightly inserting myself in mature Christ, but as the mature in Christ go on in life, they see that we really bring nothing and Jesus is the one that makes it something. Spurgeon talks about this when he's looking at this particular verse. He comments on his life. And this is what he says. I love this. He goes, I have often felt like I had neither fish nor loaf. And yet for some 40 years and more, I have been a full handed waiter at the king's great banquet. That's the way the mature in Christ feel. They realize that they don't have anything. But as they look around, they see Christ continually amazing them at how much they're being used. And so don't ever think that because you're either in the evening of your life and you have no further to give or that you basically have no gifting whatsoever, that you are somehow discounted to be used by the Lord. I would even say that you are most in line now to be used by God when you realize that apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. So you keep bringing everything to the king. You keep bringing it to Jesus. Yield up what you have. You may not think it's very much, but you're bringing it to the right person. If there's anybody that can do something, it's Jesus. You keep bringing what you have to Christ. Apart from him, you can do nothing. But when we realize, apart from him, I can do nothing, then he gets all the glory for the miracle that's being done or for the work that's being done through you to bless someone else. He gets all the glory. If you think you have something, whenever you do it, you can say, you know, Jesus did some of that. But you know what? I also kind of hooked you up a little bit. I did some of that, too. So when we realize that we have nothing, then Jesus gets all the glory for it. So you keep bringing your little fishes and loaves and he's going to keep using it for his glory. Just remember that apart from him, you can do nothing. You can't do a little something. So the third thing that we saw here is that Jesus is the compassionate supplier that sees the needs. He sees the needs. He says, we have two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Bring them here. Don't hold back anything. Bring it here. So he sees the need. Now we're going to move over into the fourth um, highlight of Jesus' compassionate nature, which is this. Jesus is a compassionate supplier that meets your needs. He sees the needs. He meets the needs. Let's look at this. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. He provided 
Spurgeon says he provided even the stadium and the seating for him. Um, he sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. This looking up to heaven and saying a blessing is a ready acknowledgement that all good gifts come from the Lord. Calvin was talking about this, this outward form of looking up to heaven in prayer. This is what he says. I think this is great. This is an outward form, which this is not an outward form, which we must do. So you don't have to look up to heaven every time you pray. But this is what he says. Um, this is an outward form that we don't have to do. But, but when we raise our eyes upward to, to God, it is an excitement well fitted to arise us from sloth. It is something that if we do, it awakens us up from our laziness. Awakens us. That's not a word, but it, it awakes us from our laziness. Laziness, And it says when our minds are so strongly fixed on the earth. In other words, you don't have to look up to heaven when you pray. But if you feel yourself getting really lazy and really worldly, it can get you focused on God. You don't have to. It's not a requirement for prayer. But Jesus here looks up to heaven and prays, readily acknowledging that all good gifts come from the Lord. And then it says this. He said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves. We cannot speed past this this little part of verse 19. This is... This is the crowning jewel of the beauty of the compassion of Jesus, I think, in this particular text. I want you to see this. Then he broke the loaves, he gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Don't miss, Jesus never passed out one thing. The disciples did it. Jesus didn't give a person besides the disciples one thing. That's pretty amazing. What, what's going on there? Let's look at this. The... Uh, Jesus is not making the disciples to be forced labor. He's not wanting them to just give him a hand. He's not wanting them to just be a waiter. Instead, this is the compassionate nature of God. This is the graciousness of God that he gives them the resources that they now get to go be the hands and feet that serve the people that are there. Jesus is telling them to feed it. So we can see just how gracious Jesus is in letting, be the, letting the disciples be the one that get to distribute the blessings to the people. He could have done it anyway. He could have just, like he did in the Old Testament, let the manna rain down from heaven. He could have just made it appear in their pockets. Everybody look in their pocket. Wow, he could have made it rise up from the ground. But instead, he gives it. Now, I don't know how this happened. I mean, we all think about how is it that he started giving it to them and it just kind of it's just appearing. We don't know. Let your mind run on how you think that happened. That's the beauty of this miracle. Who, who has an idea? I don't know. But the point is, that's really key, is that Matthew wants us to see that the disciples were the ones that were used by God to distribute the blessings. The very ones that Jesus told them with the double U, you do it. And then they somehow end up obeying that. But as they're passing it out, it, it has to be that they're realizing the truth. <laughs> Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. I don't have any idea this is working. I mean, Andrew robbed that little boy and here we are doing this. This is amazing. How is this, how is this happening? He didn't rob him. So here's the fifth thing I want you to see. Here's the fifth thing I want you to see. Jesus is the compassionate leader that loves to work through his disciples. This is the compassionate nature of Jesus. They come and say, we don't know how to do it. And Jesus helps them see, that's right, you don't know how to do it. And doesn't just take the task away from him and do it himself. That's what I did when I grew up. Whenever my dad told me to do something, I would just kind of mess it up and foul it up on purpose. I can't do it. And dad will say, let me do it. And then just do it. And I was like, thank you. I'm going to go play Sega. So, but like, that's not how Jesus does it. Jesus comes and says, I want you to do this. We can't do it. That's right, you can't do it. Here it is. Now you're going to be the one that carry out the task. I want you to see. He gives them the task, helps them see them that they absolutely cannot do it without him. He does the miracle and he lets them go bless the people. That is so glorious. He loves, loves to work through his disciples. So if you're in Christ, he loves to work through you. Don't don't miss Don't think of disciples as this big, huge, like, yeah, disciples. That's you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, he loves to work through. Through you, when you have that readily heart, I can't do it. You're right. Now here it is. Now go bless. Go bless people. Although Jesus is the compassionate supplier that sees and meets needs, and he is alone the only sufficient source for any human need, he chooses, and I would say loves to do this, to work through us as the means to meet needs. We just need to say and readily acknowledge, I can't do it. This particular time here where Jesus 
is helping them see that they can't do it and then empowers them to go do it. It's just an illustration of what he already already did in Matthew 10. In Matthew 10, if you remember, he brings the disciples in. He saw the compassion for the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He brings them in. He tells them, this is what I want you to do, and then sends them out. They realize that he can't do mission, but he sends them out in Matthew 10. Those particular disciples sends them out in Matthew 10 to go be on mission. And in the same way, in Matthew 28, he tells us to do the same thing. We're sent out in Matthew 28. The disciples are sent out in Matthew 10 to be on mission. We, the disciples, are sent out in Matthew 28 to go be on mission to make disciples, baptize people, and teach them all that Christ has commanded. So we're get to be, we are in Matthew 28 as the disciples of Christ sent to be the distributors of God's blessing, the distributors of the gospel. Romans 10, 15. Blessed, uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's you and me. And he loves to use you to do that. Have you ever thought of that that's compassion of Jesus to love to work through you to bless other people that he's compassionate when he does that. Now, I want you to see this. He gave the food to the disciples. They gave it to the crowds and look at 20 and they all ate and were satisfied. So they ate and were satisfied. We've got to remember this was 2000 years ago. Very few ate to satisfaction. The Generally, the mother house would every day work together everything she could. She would get it together. She would apportion it to the people in the family and gave it. And what they got was what they ate and they ate. And they were very little times fully satisfied. We just, you know, oh, I'm so full. We're all going to go out for Mother's Day and stuff ourselves today and eat till we're going to throw up, you know. But this was not the case. Hopefully you won't. But they, they um, there's very rarely are they satisfied. And in this time when... When the Lord comes and does this, the Lord is satisfying. In this story, Jesus is meeting the need of 15,000 people abundantly. He's doing it abundantly. And further, not only do they eat and just kind of feel better, they don't just curb the hunger pain, that they're actually satisfied. John Piper, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. This is the way that it works. Whenever you find yourself more and more satisfied, that's when he finds Whenever we give him the most glory, he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied. And as a matter of fact, um, it says they took up 12 baskets. Not only did everybody eat, there was an abundance left over as well. An abundance, 12 baskets full. That's a lot. And so why 12 baskets? Why 12 baskets full? D.A. Carson says the Messiah's supply, that's Jesus. Jesus's supply was so lavish that even the scraps of his provision are enough to supply the needs of Israel represented by the 12. 12 baskets left over. So anybody that's Jewish, as they're reading this, they're seeing 12 baskets full. They always think 12, 12 tribes of Israel, you know, all of Jacob's children. And so they see in this a little bit, there's this messianic fulfillment a little bit that Jesus supplies the need for the 12, with 12 abundance so that he meets the needs of all those who are Israel with himself, the, tw- the needs of the 12 tribes of Israel they are, their spiritual need is met in Christ by his provision, his work on the cross. So that's kind of the big picture thing. But I think there's something else going on too. Because there's 12 disciples. And they're the ones that say, we got to get them out of here. We got to get them out of here. We can't do it. We can't feed them. Oh yeah? And so at the end, I can just picture them all holding their basket. We told Jesus we had to get them out of here. Don't I feel dumb? I think it's just a, a ready available illustration for them right there to think to themselves. Jesus is basically telling me, don't ever doubt. Here it is, a very tangible illustration. They're all kind of holding their baskets and they're like, okay, we were wrong. You were right. You are the compassionate healer and the compassionate supplier. An abundance is left over and everybody ate and was satisfied. So as we see this, abundance left over. This is what I want you to remember. That you will never be able to exhaust God of all his provisions. Remember, number one, you're never going to be able to exhaust God with all of your asking. Keep asking. He's never going to grow weary of you. That is how deep his love is for you. But also know that he's never going to grow weary of you. He's never going to run out of resources either to answer what you're asking for. You're never going to exhaust God of his provisions. He is 
indescribable. He's inexpressible. He's beyond words. He's overwhelming. He is gloriously beautiful and always has provision for us. Compassionate and overabundant in supply. He's the compassionate healer that never turns away those who need to be healed and the compassionate supplier that meets everyone's need. They're fully satisfied and there's an abundance left over. Just showing off, if you will, how much he has. Now we see here in 21, and those who ate were about 5,000 men. Now I know I've said 15,000, but I've titled the sermon 15,001 Reasons He's Compassionate because we have a real tangible number there of 15,000. So who's the 15,001? I bet you can't guess. <laughs> it's you, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious. But what I want you to do here is think about this. Since if that's the case, if you are the one who's the 5,001 reason that you should realize that Jesus is compassionate. I want you to just, as we're going into this time of response, as we take the Lord's Supper and as we go into worship, I want you to just think about how compassionate He has been for you. Think about how He has made supply for you, how He has over and over revealed Himself as compassionate to you. He, met, he meets your needs. You never exhaust Him. You can always come to Him. Think about how... How beautiful that is that whenever is going on, you can always cast all of your anxieties upon him. You are the 5,001 reason that he's compassionate. There's no doubt in my mind if you're in Christ that you can identify over and over and over and over places in your life that he's been faithful. Now, when I say that, don't hear me saying that your life might not be marked with suffering. I'm well aware. We all live in this Genesis 3 world. And we have marks of suffering and pain and, and sorrow in our life. But greater than that, we have joy in Christ. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is eternal. We have joy in Christ. So I want you to rehearse and think about why you are the 5,001 person who has, is the reason that Jesus is compassionate. Consider all the ways he's been compassionate in your life. Consider the way he's been the healer and supplier in your life. And let that be the thing that as we go into the Lord's Supper and as we go into worship, be the thing that fosters and, and sends you into a response of worship, not just here in this room, but as we go. We don't need to think that Christ isn't on our side. I mean, I can easily, in my negative side, start listing all the reasons of why things are wrong and why Jesus probably isn't on my side. That's, that's crazy. He's more than compassionate. He's overabunding. And so I, I want you to think about those things. Why has Jesus been compassionate to you? How has he been? Consider those things and then let's worship him for it. And we're going to go into our time of Lord's Supper and then response through song. Um, I'm going to pray and then we'll take up the Lord's Supper. But just consider as we're going into it how you can think about those things. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for just who you are, the amazing nature in which, in which you love us and how if we really are honest and really, really kind of take a step back, we can think about how you have been there for us over and over, that you are a healer in our life because you have healed us spiritually and how you are a supplier in our life, how we get to be here today and how we have things and how you are always there for us. And this supplying isn't always just physical. You spiritually supply for us. You forgive us of our sin. You give us the Holy Spirit. We, we understand that we are in Christ by the Holy Spirit. He teaches us. He's, you are always providing for us. We know that we are your child. We can have a spirit within us that cries out, Abba, Father. We, we can recognize that we are in the family of God. There's so much provision. So be with us now as we take up the Lord's Supper and consider these things. And as we worship, we pray these things in Jesus' name.